in today's show, we're looking back at the Washington Wizards and whatever it is this franchise's goal is, they didn't hit it. So we'll talk about what it means for them in the future and what we get out of this season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball, on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. So we're here. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit congested. A little bit sick, so if my voice sounds a bit funny, that's why. So it's a little bit blocked up here. We'll talk about the Wizards just quickly. We got the news today on Kawhi Leonard. I think I said this two days ago. I go, look, when he had the ACL two playoffs ago, they just said, hey, knee sprain, and never told us anything until they were eliminated, and then it was a torn ACL. This time, the same story. Yeah, knee sprain, day-to-day, and now it's a torn meniscus. We still don't know what that's going to mean for Kawhi moving forward because it all depends on location of the meniscus tear or where in the meniscus the tear is, the degree of the tear what sort of surgery is he having, a a repair or a removal, um, all that sort of stuff. It could be a six-week injury. It can be a six-month injury. We have no idea. All we know that, of course, it's another knee injury for Kawhi that's going to probably, you would guess, even though he did, at least what happened. Before he tore his ACL, he was playing back-to-backs. He came back this season, sat on back-to-backs, and at the end of the season, played back-to-backs. And now another knee injury, which is going to push him back again, I don't think he plays back-to-backs again next season. He was trending twice to be a back-to-back playing player. He did it. But this is not going to be the case as we move forward, surely. Not now, whatever his age is. We'll talk more about that when we get to the Clippers um, season review. But bad news for Kawhi. And where that franchise goes, I have no idea. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the Washington Wizards. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right. Um, the Wizards were, as usual, pretty mediocre. You might call them, or one of the kids might call them, the Washington Middards, because that's what they are. They're consistently striving to be a play-in slash eight-seed team. That's what they do. And they have fired their general manager, Tommy Shepard, and the verbiage verbiage coming out from the statement from Ted Leonsis is that there's nothing going to change there. It was like, oh, sorry, we didn't make the playoffs. Bro, look, yes, but you have given so many restrictions. I don't think Tommy Shepard... Has In fact, I think Tommy Shepard has been horrible at drafting. I think he's been pretty good at trades, but horrible at drafting. But when the parameters you put on his job are just make the playoffs at all costs, I have concerns about what this means. And then that statement comes out and then I don't know where they go. They're just committed to being mediocre. Does this mean that Wes Unseld gets fired? Well, apparently one of the conditions of the new GM coming in is you must retain the coach, which seems insane to me. Why would you want to hamstring who you get as a GM to hold on to a coach who's at very best case scenario, where's Unseld? He's one of the worst 10 coaches in the NBA. That's best case scenario. You might say he's one of the worst five coaches. Don't know why you would do that. Unless, well, not unless. Guaranteed, it's because you don't want to have to pay him out. So where this team goes from here, it's more purgatory. And their off-season coming up 
is gigantically important. They were 35 and 47. They lost the coin toss to the Pacers. That's why I'm doing them after the Pacers in terms of lottery odds. The net rating is not terrible. Negative 1.7. That's 23rd in the NBA. Compare that to the Pacers who are negative 4.1. The same record. This means they didn't get blown out that much. Again, just continuing on the mid mode. You just chugging along and sort of being okay and flashing for a week at a time and then being bad again. It must be, and this is sort of where the Hornets have been in the past, is like, what what's the excitement with this team? And now the Hornets actually got worse, got a higher lottery pick. We'll see. We don't know where the lottery pick's going to end up, but higher lottery odds. They were really bad this season, so maybe there is some more hope in that team. I just don't know where the Wizards go from here. 19th in offense, 22nd on defense. Their best lineup, which is a staggering plus 33.2 net rating. Monte Morris, Corey Kispert, Kyle Kuzma, Kristaps Porzingis, and Daniel Gafford. And you'll notice Bradley Beal's not in that best lineup. This is a lineup they ran a lot towards the end of the season when Beal was out, and it had a really strong net rating. Is it because, we'll talk about Beal in a second, is it because Beal is not important to this team? I don't think so, but arguments can be made that getting right pieces around the right players in the right system can be more important than having the best player. And I'd also argue that Beal is no longer their best player. Well, maybe he's their best player remaining under contract, but he's no longer their best player would be an argument that I would throw out there. And I'd love to know what you guys think about that. Who is their best player? Who do you think is their best player? All the teams we've done so far, when we talk about free agency and cap space, they've all had cap space projected. The Wizards do not. They are projected at a negative $18 million. So $18 million over the cap. Now that can change, but that is because of the cap holds they have on two really big free agents. So if they re-sign these guys, they can't do anything apart from like middle-level exceptions sort of stuff and minimums. They can't do anything else. Because Kristaps Porzingis Porzingis. and Kyle Kuzma both have player options. Kuzma's going to decline his player option almost 100% that um, Porzingis is going to decline his player option and they will become free agents. But of course, in order for the Wizards to go over the cap to retain them, they have to keep those cap holds. So if Porzingis and Kuzma decide to sign somewhere else, and they just say, well, yeah, that's cool. We're not like, we, we don't want to be on this team. Then that cap space goes from $18 million over the cap and then they can get to like $28 million in cap space room. But it would mean losing two of your best three players. So they're in, yeah, they're not, they're not in a great spot. Taj Gibson and Kendrick Nunn are also unrestricted free agents. You've got Jay Huff, who is a two-way guy, but he's a, uh, a restricted free agent too. I thought he did some okay things towards the end of the season. Um, they've also got non-guarantees on, or just a non-guarantee on Jordan Goodwin. And I'm pretty sure they will pick that up. But it is, yeah, that's the off-season here is, is Porzingis. It's Kuzma. What happens with these guys? Porzingis has a $36 million player option. Kuzma's a 13. That's why Kuzma is definitely declining that because he'll get 25 plus. Whether that's worth it or not, I don't know. Porzingis will get around that same, but a longer term contract, I guess. He's only 27. We'll talk about him again in a second. Um, but, you know, these guys are probably going to come back but the new gm there's you know is there a different focus in what they're looking at that's going to be the question which i, I don't know the answer to that but that they are the two big parts there because if they both leave then it does open up cap space who they get i've got no idea but if one of them leaves then it probably doesn't open up cap space and that leaves them again in a purgatory situation where they cannot get better and leads to some hard decisions in terms of the draft they got the eighth best lottery odds and the team with the seventh best lottery odds, the Pacers, and the team with the eighth best lottery odds, the Wizards, unbelievably, in the way the odds work out, they both, the most likely spot for both of them is pick eight. 
Now you might say that's impossible, Josh. Both of them can't be pick eight. I know that. Most likely doesn't mean guaranteed to happen. They both obviously can't finish there. But the Wizards have a 33% chance of getting pick eight with the eighth best odds. The Pacers have a 36% chance of getting pick eight with the seventh best odds. The Wizards, it's 33% pick eight, 31% pick nine. They've also got two second rounders, pick 42. Well, I'll get back, back to pick eight. As I said on my mock draft ADP show yesterday, that was Taylor Hendricks, who I don't doesn't fit quite as well in this team if they have Porzingis and Kuzma there because that's the position he plays. Um, so they might go into a different direction. Maybe it's an Anthony Black type of a player who might make sense next to a bill. Um, Dayron Holmes at pick 42. And Zach Eady, we would project at pick 59 at this point. Not really sure Zach Eady is an NBA player, but picking someone because of marketing possibilities, of which Eady has significant ones, is definitely something the Wizards have never done in the past. They've never even considered that. Never thought of commercial opportunities over picking the right player. Never done that in the past. So we don't have to worry about that, do we? But it's definitely not something that's going to happen. Um, let's go to a question from John Class, And John asks a question which... I know plenty of you will um, will have on your mind. He says, John says, if they aren't going to use Bradley Beal as a high usage scorer that he was in the past, at what point does it make more sense to trade him? Well, that point was three years ago. The problem now is you cannot trade Bradley Beal unless he wants to be traded. They should have cashed in on Bradley Beal years ago. Beal is th- Bradley Beal has had such an interesting career, especially in perception-wise, because he was a guy that couldn't stay healthy early in his career with stress fractures of his leg. Then everyone told me how much of a baller he was, how much of a gamer he was, because he's going to push through everything to play 82 games, which he did for about two or three seasons in a row. And now he can't stay healthy again. Again, proving the point that it doesn't matter, right? If you play a million games, doesn't you know, doesn't mean you're going to do it every season. Or if you get hurt early in your career, doesn't mean you're going to stay hurt the rest of your career. It might, but it doesn't prove anything. And Beal's been on both sides of that argument multiple times. But the right time to trade him was three years ago before he signed this insane contract with a no-trade clause, with a trade ki- uh, trade kicker, with no player option, a five-year, $250 million contract. You can't trade him unless he wants to be traded. And then he decides where he goes. So your negotiating power is zero. So yeah, if Bradley Beal said, I want to be traded, I've got seven teams I want to go to, send me to one of them, I'd be doing it immediately. But if he says, I'm, I want to be traded... Um, and I can only go to a certain team. I'm only going to this team. It's the only team I waive my no trade clause for. Well, you're shit out of luck. You can't do anything about it. And that's why that decision by Tommy Shepard, whether it was Tommy Shepard or Ted Leonsis putting his thumb on the scales to influence that decision, was could be one of the worst decisions over the, over the next five years of handicapping a team. Beal's on $46 million this season. And his contract is... Let me have a look what it goes to. I know it's terrible. Let's have a look where Beal goes to. Um, 50, 54, and $57 million player option for Beal over the next three seasons. And $46 million for this upcoming season. So yeah, it's dreadful. And then he's got um, yeah, that player option, $57 million. It's really bad. So if Beal's not... They're not gonna, he was still their highest usage player. But he's not as good. He's not their best player anymore. And you can't trade him. So yeah, good luck. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part that you fit or that you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know your part will fit or your money back. 
Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easier to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. What am I looking at here? Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to US customers, eligible items only, and exclusions apply. Those damned exclusions. Um, all right, let's talk players. Let's go to the Wizards' best player. Again, do you, do you disagree? Do you think Beal is their best player? Maybe you do. Porzingis is the best player. He was this season anyway. 16th ranked player in category leagues, 16th in totals, 25th in points leagues, ADP of 47. This is a guy that I banged on and on and on about in the preseason. said he is probably going to be a top 20 player Per game, you've just got to weigh up where you take that risk. And 47 to me was too late. I liked him in the third round, and it was a huge W. He only played 65 games. Still, obviously, fake illnesses and injuries down the end kept him from getting closer to 70. But once again, the guy with multiple knee surgeries, it doesn't mean that you're going to have multiple knee injuries or ankle injuries moving forward. He had some ankle problems, but people say that he's soft, he doesn't want to play, um, he's always going to get hurt. It's bullshit. You have to have elements of risk in your drafts, you have to have elements of care about who you draft and looking at stuff, but doesn't 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 mean that it's going to be the case. He's going to be 28 by the time next season starts, so he's banging his prime. And he played 33 minutes, 27 usage, 23 points, two threes, eight rebounds, one and a half blocks. And looking at that, it's all very good. It could be better. He could have averaged two blocks a game. He's done it in the past. Now, again, playing next to Gafford and playing at the four a little bit more does hurt that. But 39 from three, 50 from the field, 85 from the line. Just an amazingly good season. He was plus 5.1 EPM. That's 96th percentile. 96th percentile on estimated wins. Pozingas, 96th percentile. 11, over 11 wins. He was 21st in the NBA in Darko at a plus three. He's LeBron was plus three. Look at how that graph, where he had some dips there with a knee injury and some time in Dallas, and then got to Washington and stepping right up. He is massively impactful. And... Are you going to win a championship with him as your best team? No, you're not. He's best as a second guy. But he is really useful, and he can get the ball and do a lot of things. You just have to have a few of the right people. Again, you don't look at him and go, we're set. He's our number one. We're ready to go. You don't do that, but he's very good. And the problem is going to be here, people are going to look at what he did this season, and they're going to draft him in the second round. And there, there is an element of risk to that. I would still be okay towards the end of the second round, I think, in grabbing him. So it depends on what changes with this team or where he ends up as well. But there's not, nothing surprising about this stat line whatsoever to me. I predicted it. I predicted he'd be this level of player. I didn't know that he'd play 65 games, but I didn't rule it out. And it was great. His fantasy points. Um, Graf, you see a couple of missed games in the middle there, but no long extended stretches. He was just really good. Relatively consistent, relatively good, very good. All season, a really good year for Porzingis. And, and again, look, his EPM graph, he got better and better as the season went on. And some of that getting better as the season went on is Bradley Beal missing some time, but also the team realizing, I think, that Christos Porzingis was their best player and feeding him a little bit more. That takes us on to Bradley Beal, who... His ADP at 35, when I was doing mock drafts, he was going in the 40s, and I was getting a lot of shit for it. Man, how can you let Beal slide? How is Beal going in round four? 
And I kept looking at that because whenever I hear those criticisms of me passing on him in round two or round three, and I go, well, why didn't you pick B on it? And I go and look at the projections and I go in. I did this a lot for Bill. Okay? I can't get him to be a top 20 player anymore. The way he was able to do that two years ago was really high steal numbers, through the roof usage and scoring, averaging 30 plus points per game. And I just didn't see it for him. And he basically just lived up exactly to what we expected. 39th in category leagues, 43rd in points leagues, 35 ADP. He only played 50 games with multiple absences throughout the season. Again, the fake injury towards the end is not really counted, but multiple absences during the season. He played 34 minutes, no problem there. It's a little bit lower than some of the 36 that he was playing earlier on, and that's something to note. Sometimes players really boost up by playing insane minutes that when they get older, they can't stick. And he is 30. 29 usage, that's back to John's question. Like They did utilize him as a 30% usage player, 29% usage player. As a relatively high usage guy, he's just not that good anymore. He's fine. He's not that good. He's not elite. 23 points, 1.63s. This is a problem, I think. He's a guy that you always think, wow, he's an elite three-point shooter. He never really has been consistently been a high-level three-point shooter. He's also never really been um, a consistent shooter, but 1.63s isn't a huge amount. Three or almost four rebounds, five and a half assists, 0.9 steals, 0.7 blocks. His heyday at being that top 12, top 14 player would get you 1.4, 1.5 steals, which is a little bit of an outlier. And again, why it's very hard to trust steals year on year. His advanced numbers aren't bad. Plus 2.9 EPM, 56th in Darko, 87th percentile in wins. LeBron, 66th percentile. Look at the graph there. But you can see that the decline is starting for Bill. He really, really peaked and he's starting to decline. These are all solid numbers, but it shows his position in the league. Is he the 50th best player, 40th best player? That's probably about right. Do you want to play that? pay that guy $250 million with no trade clause? I don't think so. His fantasy points graph, again, pretty stop and start stuff for him. Some really strong games towards the end. Again, he wasn't terrible, but I think people had it in their head. Well, this is a guy that was a top 15 player in the past, um, and he really let us down. But if he had gone into the season expecting him not to be that player, which I did, then I'm not let down by it. He's, not, he's really sort of what I thought he was. And you know, the impact stuff still a positive player, still a useful player. But the problem, I guess, with this team is both him and Porzingis are probably better suited to being twos, you know, or the number two guy. Um, and both of them were sort of going back and forth as the number one, and it didn't really make sense. Let's go to the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma, because he, he was good, but also not good. And, and I'll explain that. Got inside the top 100. Last season, towards the end of the year, put up huge numbers. And a lot of people were really interested in what that brought. But of course, that was without Porzingis and it was without Beal for big chunks. And he really stepped up in those scenarios. And we're, we're like, where's he fit as the third usage player uh, on this team? Well, they did some interesting things with Kuzma this season. They gave him the ball a lot. 97th in category leagues, though. And look, the, part of the problem you look with Kuzma is an, a good way to tell players who might have some fluctuations in their numbers. 97th in category leagues, 54th in points leagues. Why is there a delta of 43 spots there? His ADP was 99, so people banged on, got it right there. I thought he would have gone in the 60s or 70s in some drafts, but 99 was right. Obviously, for points leagues, it's a huge bargain. But that delta between category rank and points rank shows that everything about his game is predicated, or his fantasy game is predicated on big minutes, and big usage. He played 35 minutes a night, led the team. 28 usage, second on the team, ahead of Porzingis, which is 
probably a misallocation of resources. He's older than Porzingis, only by like six weeks or so, but he's older than Porzingis. He's going to be 28 and he's a free agent. He's going to cash in. But if you're another team or a fantasy manager in a dynasty league and you go, well, look at that, like 35 minutes, 300 points a game, love it. Where, like what team does he make better? 300 points, two and a half, three, seven rebounds. These are not bad numbers. Almost four assists, pretty good. But part of my issue, again, with the difference between cats and points, 0.6 deals, 0.5 blocks, 45%, 73 from the line. Inefficient, needs high volume, needs high minutes, doesn't contribute defensively. And all of those things, as Obi tries to come up and talk Kyle Kuzma with me, all of those things lead me to be a little bit worried. His age, you would never think that him and Porzingis are the same age. You would never really think that he had a higher usage than Porzingis this season. And I, I wouldn't be going, well... These numbers, 35 minutes, 28 usage is almost like a number one guy. And to me, he's a number three. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I think there are some positives and he improved a lot. There are also some red flags. The advanced numbers are very interesting. Big, big improvements. Look at that graph. The Darko improvements were strong. He still wasn't, he's still not good. Negative 0.8, that's 244th in the NBA. EPM likes him a lot more, but LeBron and Darko are similarly negative on him. So some differing opinions. But you can see how bad some of his advanced numbers were and how bad they really declined until this season where he did improve a lot, but still not even up to zero in Darko. So there are there are some concerns. Again, a lot of volume. The points numbers are really strong for Kuzma. That's great. But I worry about how this translates moving forward. His EPM stuff, really strong early on, did fade a little bit towards the end of the season and then missed, obviously, with fake injuries down the stretch as uh, so many Wizards players did, which is going to be an interesting talking point when we get to some other guys uh, later on in the show. Today's episode is also brought to you by Ibotta. You're always throwing money at something. It's kids' school supplies, a new house project. The list goes on. It's time to stop spending your hard-earned money and you don't get anything back in return. Enter Ibotta. The average Ibotta user earns $120 a year in real cash back. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, a dinner, a flight that you've been eyeing, a game you've been looking to go to, whatever it is, that's 120 bucks that you spent to get something you want and they give it back to you. There's no downside to that, honestly. A typical basket of groceries is over $50 more expensive at the end of 2022 than the beginning of the year due to inflation. You can earn up to two and a half times that back in cash back from Ibotta. They give you real cash back, not points. Other apps give you points and they don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back. It goes straight into your bank account, your PayPal or in the form of gift cards. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners five bucks just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play Store or the App Store and use the code LOCKED. That brings us to Delon Wright, who was not drafted anywhere. No ADP, 0% drafted. A guy who has consistently had a really, really good fantasy game. Consistently. Showed flashes in Atlanta last season, uh, moments in Toronto, moments in Memphis, and whenever... uh, Dallas, shithouse. But whenever he's had a chance to play good minutes, he's always been useful and a relatively strong, impactful player. He was 110th in category leagues, 161st in points leagues. And this is the opposite to Kuzma, which when I see a big delta the other way between categories and points leagues, I go, okay, that must mean there's an outlier in one category, usually a low volume category, which sort of belies the impact he had. And it's true. He was strong and he had really good moments plenty of times this season. I really like him as a player. But 110th means that he is a starter in a category league. 
He's a top 120 player. He averaged seven points under a three, under four uh, rebounds, under four assists. There's nothing good about that at all. But he averaged 1.8 steals. And we know what steals are. And you would know if you had Dylan Wright fantasy playoffs. I think it was around fantasy playoffs. There was a time over like two weeks where he didn't get a single steal. So the reason you had him, like, there was no point. He was shit house. He was useless. But then you have the games where he has big steals. He is 31 as well. Jesus. 50 games, 24 minutes, 13 usage, 7 points, as I said, 3.6 rebounds, 3.9 assists, and 1.8 steals. He shot 47, 34, and 87%. Okay numbers, nothing massive there. The free throws are good, but he never gets the line. Impact-wise, he's great. Darko has him as a positive, 124th in the league. EPM's got him at plus one. Estimated win, 71st percentile. LeBron loved him. You can see how solid he has been over a straight, I don't know what I'm trying to say, over a long enough period of time here where he's just a good, impactful player. But that fantasy rank, there is no way that I look at Delon Wright, the way this team is currently constructed, and go, yeah, he's a draftable guy for me, even though he finished 110th. There's just no way I'm interested in it because it's on the back of steals. That's a steal specialist to me, and that's it. The assists are really nice, but the role was very up and down. He got extra run when Morris missed with a back problem and Beal was out. It's just not reliable. And at age 31, I don't think many teams are going, all right, Dillon, let's go. Let's give you 29 a night and let's go on from there. I just don't think that's real. He missed a bunch of time early on with a big ankle problem. You can see that huge gap in the graph there. It was a significant ankle sprain. He missed a lot of time. Came back and the points numbers are very up and down. And you see that where that huge drop is in the blue line of that graph. And that was the fantasy plus where he just didn't get any steals. He just got nothing, and that's what fuels all of his numbers. And that volatility in one category, the most volatile category, makes them hard players to rely upon. His EPM is also a little bit all over the shop, and that, again, big decrease in production was right in the middle of fantasy playoffs when you'd hoped he'd do a little bit more, just because he couldn't have that impact defensively that you would have wanted him to. Let's talk about Dan Gafford. Um, an interesting player. They sort of didn't really know how to use him at times this year. And I'm still not sure they know what to do with him. 143rd ranked player in category leagues, 179th in points leagues. He was drafted apparently in 19% of leagues. I didn't know that they would start him. I thought that they would probably go with Abdir at the three, Kuzma at the four, Porzingis at the five. And they did that for periods of time, but then they went to Porzingis at the four, Gafford at the five together. But it didn't mean that Gafford played huge minutes. He's 20, almost 25, or will be 25, sorry, when next season starts. 78 games, 21 minutes, 15% usage. Again, you look at his overall rank, and I believe, again, when Yahoo displays ranks, you'll go and see this, and you'll look up Daniel Gafford, and you'll see the, the number that... I'm just going to tell you what the actual number that Yahoo um, supplies his rank. Yeah, 104th they supply him as, because they look at the total value. And again, that's like a 10th round player, is it? Yeah, it's like a 10th round player. Ninth round player, even. Is it? Yeah, it's a ninth round player. And there's just no way. Like, that's just not real at all. You're not looking at that as value for him moving forward. Nine points, five and a half rebounds, 1.3 blocks. Much like Wright, it's coming with one category, big blocks. He had interesting games when Porzingis was out and he'd have those moments. But this guy's the locker room legend. You talk about Anthony Davis going to the locker room. This boy went to the locker room in the last five minutes of a game, I reckon 20 times. He, he didn't, but he did it. He went a lot. Ankle problems really hurt. Now, he ended up playing 78 games. He missed four games despite 40 locker room trips. Again, in exaggeration. But he went to the locker room a ton. He just didn't miss any time. But only 21 minutes for a guy that started for big chunks of the season. That's, I wouldn't say it's concerning, but it's also just another indication that I'm not sure they know what to do with him. I'm not sure they know how to use him best. They really didn't commit to anything with doing it. 
And look, his advanced numbers were all okay. Darko doesn't love him as much. And you can see Darko's got him sort of like a, a zero, a, a not a positive, not a negative, which is still like, it's oh, fine, 213. That's you know, mid-range of where the NBA players sit. He had a nice little spike in the middle. He was okay. He protects the rim well, but there are significant limitations to what he can do. And I thought we saw that. Like he started 47 games this season and he played 25 minutes a night in those games. He just played 14 minutes a night coming off the bench. And his games as a starter, 11 and 6 with 1.4 blocks. One of the other big reasons for him being so good is 73% shooting. It's on low volume, but it's still a big impact category for him. So he's a two-cat guy, really. Blocks and field goals. Fantasy points, they don't really count that much in fantasy points, so they're not that good. His production is tied very heavily to his minutes, and they were inconsistent. He's not someone we really cared too much in fantasy points leagues. He had a big drop in effectiveness towards the end of the season. Again, some of that is due to just the team lacking bunches of um, good players towards the end, and, and he struggled somewhat there. But he's just a solid enough center who ideally is your backup, who I think they should have played him more minutes because their other options were nobody. And I didn't really understand you know, the idea of giving Anthony Gill minutes. And again, some of the poor coaching, poor front office management decisions are frustrating with this team. But he's not... Like, I don't look at this and go, well, he's 24, there is still room to improve. But I don't ever think he's going to be a 30-minute-a-night player. Monte Morris, another great case study. Monte Morris traded from Denver. Pell went, all right, let's go. Rub my hands together. It's great. He's away from Jokic now. He's going to get all this usage. Great. He finally gets the usage now. Heading to Washington, he's going to be a great late target. And no, because it's really important to understand an entire ecosystem. He went from being a guy that last season as a starter in Denver played with Jokic and like who else? No Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. He played with Aaron Gordon. That's it. He went to Washington, had to play with Bill Kuzma and Porzingis. He never touched it. 15% usage. He's got no upside. 151st ranked player in category leagues. 146 in points leagues. He was drafted 115, which again, is a round 12 pick. So it's not a disaster, but it didn't work out. A guy that consistently is around 150 is no, no good here. He didn't really have a spike. He averaged 10 points in 27 minutes. He wasn't their best point guard. You could argue that he was their, at times, third best behind Wright and even Jordan Goodwin. But only 27 minutes a night as a starter, 15 usage. He had five assists. That's really strong. But you know, 38% shooting from three is solid. But the volume is so low that all he is is an assist guy. His impact metrics were fine. You know, uh, EPM is all right. LeBron was pretty good. Darko was all right. You can see that he has improved his impact stuff with Darko hitting across to Washington. But again, if you honestly look at a depth chart and Monte Morris is your starting point guard, you don't go, well, we're, we're set. We're settled there. He's also the same age as Kuzma and Porzingis. This is peak Monte Morris. You need to be upgrading this position at some point. And that's, again, what they do. They're just mid, just mid players who are fine, Honestly, Monte Morris is, should be Tyus Jones, not someone that you pencil in as a starter. And they should, through their minimal avenues to improve, they should look to improve this position. Whether they do or not, I don't know. His fantasy points graph, he had a couple of missed games in here, had a back problem towards the end, but there's nothing hugely to write home about with this, with this guy and his production. Just a very, very boring um, fantasy player. And 
That's why we invented the Monte Morris voice because he just goes out and has 10 points with three rebounds and five assists with one steal and shoots 46%. Because it's boring. Nothing peaks. Nothing pops. Great in a 16-team league. Shitful in a 12-team league. He did really start the season out quite poorly. He had nice little spikes in his uh, impact metrics in the middle of the year and then fell off again. And him being a zero or a negative 0.5 in an EPM is probably realistic. A lot of people ask me questions about Denny Avdia, who was a really interesting player this season. I think that they did him dirty quite a bit. I think that the way that they use him has been poor quite a bit, quite often. And they make bullshit excuses of like, well, you know, we had to trade Rui because we needed to play Denny Avdia and then they didn't play Denny Avdia. He should have been, to me, he's a perfect sort of compliment to fit between Porzingis, Kuzma, Beal. Because he defends, he's got big size, he can handle the ball. You don't need him being a big usage player. And I thought he was just solid a lot of the time out there. Now, he had some bad games, no doubt about that. And the inconsistency is a problem. But there is also you know, my worry about where he fits in this team moving forward. 170th in category leagues, 160th in points leagues, wasn't drafted anywhere, but he is 22. He's still quite young. He played 76 games. He played 27 minutes with 17 usage. There's a little bit of a red flag, the low usage. He averaged nine and six with one three, three assists, 0.9 steals. The problem is the shooting. 44 from the field, 29.7 from three, 74 from the line. Negatives in all three categories there. Good steal numbers. But what we saw for him many times this season is he needs Bradley Beal out of the way. He needs the ball in his hands, not to be a usage guy, but to at least get some shots because he shrinks away otherwise, but to actually be able to orchestrate some stuff because he is a good passer. So the games without Beal, much better, much better. The games when Beal played, lost. So we could look at this team and they could come back intact. Beal, Morris, Kuzma, Porzingis, Gafford, and then Denny plays the same role again. Could he push ahead of Gafford? Yeah. Should they try that? Probably yes. But unless one of the Kuzma, Porzingis, Beal guys are out, I just don't think he's going to step up big time. Now, a lot of people did ask me in the questions for this show, hey, yeah, he's doing a ton of work in the offseason. That's all well and good. You, know, you can get fooled and... Um, fooled is maybe not the right word. Um, enamored by off-season workout videos. Every player's working out. Everyone says, I'm, I'm trying to be my best. I'm going to improve this. But in the end, when Bill Kuzma and Porzingis are out there, you're not going to get to do it. Unless you think he's taking this gigantic leap forward and becoming hyper-aggressive and demanding the ball over those players, and the coaching staff enables that, then not much changes. Can he play more than 27 a night? Should he? Yeah, probably, yes. He should play 29 to 30 most nights. But is it enough for us to actually care about in fantasy? I'd like, I'd need to see more happen with this roster before I get into that. His advanced stuff wasn't that strong. Negatives in EPM, Darko, LeBron, like pretty bad stuff for a lot of those. And while he showed flashes, he was inconsistent and it does require somebody not being there. His fantasy points graph is very up and down. We know that he was wildly inconsistent. And if I probably overlaid that with Beal and Beal's absences, we would see the spikes go up. Or if it's Pozingas' absence or Kuzma's absence, it's more usually, usually it's Beal because he, he needs the ball. To, he needs to hold the ball. He needs, he's not a high usage player, but he, he needs to be running as almost like a point guard to really start to have the impact on a game. And then you run to that problem. Well, for 
Avdia to do his thing to be the best Denny Avdia. He needs the ball in his hands. But does that actually make you a good team? To get the best out of Denny, we're not the Washington Avdias. To get the best out of Denny, he needs that ball in his hands. But that probably doesn't make you the best team possible. So he sort of sits in a weird spot. Like, we know what he can do when those opportunities arise. But when putting together the best team, it doesn't lead to the best version of Denny. That's sort of how I'm viewing him. His advanced stuff was, again, all right. Like, after Rui was traded, not much change with his impact. I think they were trying to bullshit us that the reason they didn't play him was because Hachimura was there. The reason they didn't play him was because they were incompetent and they didn't. They were giving random guys minutes they shouldn't have. But, you know, I, I do have some faith in what he... I like him as a player. I like him as a connector. I like him as a piece. But is there fantasy upside there? I am on the fence with the... The minutes issue, the usage issue, and the percentages issue, especially for points leagues. If you can't get big minutes or you can't get big usage and you can't shoot well, it leads to some problems. Let's go to Corey Kispert, who, again, flashed some stuff towards the end of the season. I still don't really think he's that good of a player. I didn't like them drafting him at whatever it was, pick 15, pick 16 last season. He's already 24 in his second season. He averaged, he was the 210th ranked player this season, 239th in, in um, points leagues. He played a lot, 74 games, so his total numbers jumped right up. He played 28 minutes a night because someone was always hurt and they would start him a lot. And towards the end of the season when Beal was out, he started and played quite well. But he doesn't do anything. He shot 50% and 42% from three, and that is a hyper-valuable skill set. 2.2 triples is, is great. But when you look at the fact that he scored 11 points only, and we're talking six and a half points, close to seven points, comes from three-point range, what, what you're not what you're not doing anything else. One assist, under three rebounds, under half a steal in 28 minutes. They are Doug McDermott. Now, I don't want to characterize him as a white shooter because he's a white player who's a shooter and same as Doug McDermott, but they are Doug McDermott numbers. McDermott's probably a better rebounder than that. That is absolutely useless for fantasy. Useless. You cannot rebound, pass, defend, or hit any twos. It's great to be a 42% three-point shooter, and hit those threes, but you are a three-point streamer at best. And we saw multiple opportunities of him starting. And he was okay at times, but when we get to the next graph, like, we'll look at his advanced numbers. They're all pretty negative. His LeBron was terrible. Fourth percentile amongst starters at negative 2.6. Everything else sort of mid or below average. But you go to his fantasy points graph, the red line there is minutes. And look how far above the blue line minutes are. Like, he's not even close to a fantasy point-per-minute player. That red line is miles ahead because he doesn't do anything. He sort of runs around. He's a dangerous shooter, but he doesn't do anything. Now, there was a spike towards the end of the season, but you'll notice the big spike is minutes. The red line's getting to 40 minutes a night. The blue line spikes a little bit, but it still didn't change. He had 14% usage. 14. You've got to get those numbers up, but that's why it's hard. It's why it's hard for Avdia because Kuzma Beal... And Porzingis are all getting 24, 27, 29%. I think actually to 27%, whatever it was. But they're all high numbers. Hard to get those numbers when those guys are out there. Really bad advanced metrics for EPM. Like you said, a huge stretch where he just was a negative most of the time. He did improve towards the end of the season, but I, so much of what he did towards the end was because so many players were out and I just I have real trouble having faith in him as a player who is already 24 and hasn't really shown me an ability to do anything that's not shooting. Jordan Goodwin. 
I thought flashed quite a bit. He was a two-way guy. They ended up converting him to a full-time contract. 227th in category leagues. thought he was better than Monte Morris at times this season. 229th in points leagues. He's 24, so he is a little bit older as well as a rookie. That's you know, the circuitous path that he takes to get here through the G League. 62 games, 18 minutes, 17 usage, 6 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, 0.9 steals and 0.4 blocks. That's where his value was coming in. And that they're not big numbers until you realize he played 18 minutes. So get to 30 minutes, we're talking 1.4 steals and 0.8 blocks as a point guy. They're unbelievably good numbers. 45 from the field, 32 from three, 77 from the line, totally adequate. His advanced numbers, again, better than you'd expect from a, a two-way guy, 55th percentile EPM, 262nd in Darko, 55th in LeBron. They're really strong. Could he be a backup point guard? Yeah, he can. The offense still has a long way to go. His passing's not awesome. But defensively, Dennis Smith? Dennis Smith's an elite defensive point guard, but obviously can't push into a big role onto a good team. But Goodwin is sort of in that zone. And he did improve. You can see that Darko graph across his rookie year. Just solid enough. Still not push, uh, uh, pushing to be a positive player, but solid enough. And at least that's that's a strong find for them to grab a rookie like this, an older rookie, but to get strong enough production for him to be a useful rotation player. That's a win for Tommy Shepard, the former GM of the team. And his EPM graph, there's not a lot that's uh, telling us there. Let's go to Kendrick Nunn. I don't really want to, but we are going to go to Kendrick Nunn. He came across in the Hachimura trade. He barely played. He didn't play at all last season. Barely played for the Lakers this season. Came to the Wizards. And I think that he's been exposed, I believe. I didn't really ever like him for a hit in the heat. And one of those guys, again, where that golden rule to me is really important is that the reason that he was putting up those numbers for the heat, it was outlier high-level shooting, but also... It needed to be super high usage because a bunch of players were out. He didn't do anything as a passer, a rebounder, a defender, a even a shooter to make me think that he can fit in in lots of different roles. It needs to be a bunch of players out. Let's let Kendrick Nunn try and do a bunch of things. And it doesn't work. He's already 28, 371st in category leagues, 140. He was drafted. Now, I actually didn't mind drafting him in the last round because when we entered the season, we heard whispers that Kendrick Nunn would be their starter. Now, I scoffed at it from a perspective of what are you doing? He doesn't deserve to be a starter. He's terrible. Like, why would you start him? It makes no sense to do that. But the reports came out. So when you the reports come out that someone's going to be a starter, you take a flyer on them and say, well, if they are going to be dumb and play him 29 minutes, then have a crack because he might get 14 points. Now, it didn't turn out that way. He really never played because he was bad. He averaged seven points, 35 from three, 42 overall, 1.3 assists, 0.4 steals, 14 minutes, 24 usage, He's still under contract for one more season, but yeah, he's. I have no faith in him doing anything positive as we move forward. Some nice games towards the end of the season with the Wizards. You'll see that he yeah, barely did anything with the Lakers. Some nice games at the end, but that is when everybody was out. So the biggest, biggest chunk of salt ever. His EPN graph doesn't tell us much. We can see the move from the Lakers to the Wizards. It was okay. Was moderately all right. Had some okay moments, but honestly, there's just there's nothing there. He's 28 years of age, and I don't have any faith in him moving forward. Speaking of faith moving forward, let's go to Cobra Kai, John Davis, the number 10 pick in the draft. And it is really, really hard to for me to fairly assess him, I think. And I'll tell you why. Let's go through the numbers. 454th in category leagues per game. That's disastrous as the 10th overall pick. 362nd in points leagues. He wasn't drafted anywhere, thank God. Um, he's 21, so he did come in as an older rookie, second-year player out of Wisconsin. And that's one of the things, I don't. it's not always a red flag, but when I'm looking at and assessing rookies, if you are coming in in a weaker draft class like last season, and you couldn't, as a freshman, you couldn't stand out enough 
to be a one and done guy, but you go back to school and then show out as a year older player in a weaker draft class, I'm always going to be, ugh, I'm a little concerned with that. Right? It's all about level of competition. Are you elevating? And he'll forever be known as the number 10 overall pick. And you know, number 10 overall picks each year are very, very different in terms of the quality of guys around them. So I have my levels of skepticism there. And versus also, again, the guy that needed like 35% usage in college to and was a poor three-point shooter to generate big numbers. And I thought, this is not going to work in the NBA. I don't see how it makes sense. And it didn't. He was horrible. Horrible. He played 28 games only, not through injury. 15 minutes with a 20 usage. He averaged six points, two rebounds. 0.4 steals, one assist. He shot 24% from three, 39% overall, and 52 from the line. They are horrific numbers. Third percentile EPM, fourth percentile estimated wins, 473rd in Darko, seventh percentile LeBron. Look at that graph. It's just scraping the bottom. It's a bottom feeder. There's nothing good there. But when you go to the fantasy points graph, you'll notice that he never played until the end of the season where everyone was out and they tried him and he put up some good numbers. But, but, do we care? Do we care? He started five games. He played 36 minutes a night. Huge, huge minutes. He averaged 17 points on a true shooting of 46%. He averaged under four assists. The 1.4 steals and 0.8 blocks are nice, but he couldn't hit free throws. He couldn't hit threes. He couldn't hit twos. He averaged 17, five and a half, and four with two threes. They're, they're all okay numbers, but massive negatives in shooting. And it required everyone being out and him getting tons of minutes and it, I don't I don't care. Now, when I come back to saying I find it hard to evaluate him because he's he is 21, older than some rookies, a year older than a lot of them, but that's fine. He's had one year in the NBA, and I'm never going to write somebody off after one season. I like to give them at least two, usually three, before I sort of make start to make decisions on when they see. Usually it's three before I say that they're done. There's no there's no point here. Johnny Davis, but the thing with Davis is I had him, I think, 17. On my draft board, maybe 16. So when he was picked at 10, I laughed. I was like, this is stupid. What are you doing? Why are you picking this point? This is a dreadful pick. So then we all have to fight our own biases. So when he comes in at pick 10, I'm already like, disaster pick, bad fantasy translations, bad real life translations. I don't know why you're picking him at 10. And then he comes out and he's bad. How am I going to say, oh, but maybe there's hope when I didn't have that hope to begin with on him. I didn't think that he was a good player. I thought that, yeah, pick 16, whatever. Is it, I think I did 15 or 16, whatever. One of those spots. That's not a bad player. That can develop into a rotation player. But the vast majority of the time, it's an eighth or ninth man throughout their career. They're totally fine. They might be TJ Leaf. Maybe they're Kawhi. They're not Kawhi most of the time. Right? But they, they maybe that's with the sort of player. You can get okay guys there. You can get better guys later. You can get worse guys. But in general... You're not expecting to draft a starter at pick 15, 16. It's a solid enough bench guard. So, you know, when I say I can't rule out, I'm not writing him off as a player because it's only been one season. My level of expectation for him was already low anyway. So, yeah, I, I maybe he can get to be an eighth or ninth man in a rotation at some point. So I'm not writing that off. Future star, future starter, I never saw it and I definitely don't see it now. So... The other thing is, path to minutes. With Beal there, like, they play the same position. Can't really be a point guard. Beal can't be a full-time point guard. It's not really big enough to be a three. Plus, you've got Avdia who's going to play there. He might be a rotation guy next season, and he could take big steps forward. But again, my hopes on Davis are very low. 
and they never had big ones to begin with. And look towards the end, like the EPM graph, like he started to get minutes and that was still, it was still bad. Like he still was a negative impact player, even when he played. So it wasn't that like, well, his EPM was so bad because he was just playing sporadic minutes. When he got the big minutes, they were bad. And that is again, part of my concern where the concern was there beforehand. The concern amplified in summer league and amplified again at the start of the regular season. And then he had seven good games, seven, sorry, mediocre games towards the end of the season. And it doesn't change my mind on his, on my opinion of where he sits. Like he's worse than I thought, but I didn't have high hopes to begin with. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. I'm not sure if there'll be a show tomorrow. I'm still debating that. It will come out. There will be a fifth show this week. It will come out. I'm just not sure when. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Just so don't be surprised if nothing comes out tomorrow. It, it might be there. It might not be. Um, and then we'll, and what, what team are we actually doing tomorrow? That's a good question. I should look at that. Who are we looking at in tom- or in, on the next show? Anyway? Oh, it's the Utah Jazz. So that'll be coming up soon. Subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Audacy. I've said that already. On YouTube, thumb it up. Ring the bell. Leave your comments. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.